When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello there. So, events happen, points for won and lost, and now everyone is blaming models. No, it's not a billionaire's messy divorce. It's the return of FPL as the Premier League 2022-23 season kicked off in earnest on Friday night with Arsenal looking uncharacteristically professional. What the hell is going on? I should say, welcome to new listeners. I'm Tom. I'm probably your main host of WGTA. And normally I'll be joined by Lucy. But this week, and for another couple of weeks coming up, I'm joined by Pod OG Nick, who started it with me back in 2017. So all the way back then. Are you right, Nick? Great to have the LD brothers back together again. And no, that's not this week's theme, BT Dubs. Hey, Tom. Yeah, I'm pleased to be back. It has been a while, hasn't it? It's my longest absence for the pod, possibly yeah, four, four, five months. Think so. Prior to Harry taking over over the course of the spring slash summer. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm good. Just came back from a holiday, so pretty knackered. But um, you've caught me in good spirits, at least. Perfect timing. After what was a great start, certainly he's given me the cure for the itch after a summer absence from FPL. Just a reminder, of course, for our listeners, who we are. We are Who Got The Assist. So you can find Tom on the main account at WGTA underscore FPL. Lucy, you can find her at Lucy Hynitz and myself at WGTA underscore Nick. On the pod today, we'll be bringing back market forces and the uh, the mini league updates. We're going to be talking a little bit about outcome buyers in FPL. Of course, there will also be questions and transfers and captains. And just because we've got to date the pod in case surprises happen, I think it's just worth doing. I've been meaning to do it for six years, Nick, just to remember to say it at the start of every pod. But this was recorded on Monday, the 8th of August. So if something has changed, hopefully I'll be able to slip something in if it changes over the next day or two. But you know, if something has changed, listen to this on Friday. Like, why haven't these guys the, mentioned? Uh, the the timestamp is 2140, Monday, 8th of August, 2022. Hmm. Maybe I'll just do it like that instead of all this blustering. Right, okay, <laughs> let's get into it, Nick. The first Ooh. game week review of the season. Let's talk about what went well, what didn't go well for us. And I guess I'll go first just because, uh, yeah, you did really well, actually, at the start of this year. But for me, I guess it starts with one thing. I don't know why. It doesn't even matter how hard I tried. Keep that in mind. I designed this team to last for just two weeks. And it's unreal it went well. It really is. I mean, I've got 80 points for game week one. That's not the best score in terms of gross tally I've ever had on game week one. That was last year's 96 when everyone did decently. But in terms of proportion to the rest of the field, it was an exercise in breaking the habit from a usually very mediocre game week one. This was a good one for me. I ended up on 250k on the first day. Pretty pleasing. All my 11 were away from home. So that's quite interesting. I ended up making a few small adjustments to the Beige FC I ended up talking through last Wednesday. So I swapped out Trippier for Gabriel after Conte's comments. And I shoved Edison back in goal for Ramsdale. I couldn't really call a goalkeeper. And that gave me a nice 10 point swing doing that little move. 
At the back ends, like Benson, that's a seven-pointer, swung a bonus too. Then Cancelo, Reese James, they both got yellow cards, but got two bonus points as well to get sevens, as did Gabriel with his clean hit one bonus. Double City defence was probably my big differential. And to watch the time fly as the pendulum swung got very tense as we entered the last 30 minutes of the game on Sunday, but it was very, very nice. The only paper cut was Trent's blank, but that was universally felt, so... Just a scratch. In midfield, Salad is what, did what he always does. Gifted the goal, wasn't he? But goal and assist. Martinelli got his goal. Diaz managed to dodge points, but generally was quite lively. And Bailey and Villa didn't go too great. Only a blank there. Got a question about that later, actually. And up front, Jesus didn't get on the end of the cross. But Haaland, who went with over Kane, did get a brace. So took me up to the 80, which is very, very nice. And just to mention, before we go on to you, Nick, Lucy's outcome too. So Lucy ended up with 14 out of 15 of the same players that I did. She only had Trippier to my Gabrielle, who scored the same, a seven. So we both started off an 80. Some people may say we included. There may be some questions about the invigilator's efficacy during the final stages of putting teams together. But we really didn't. It was a genuine surprise when I saw her team. Although it wasn't too dissimilar from the one she put together on the final pod we did together last week so maybe it was just her persuasive style that pushed me one step closer to the beige nick very very good opening week for you though wasn't it it, it definitely was i mean it's, it's a near perfect start for me ultimately 88 points in total even though you've had an excellent start yourself it must it must sting somewhat just to still see me beat you of course but uh so we'll turn out for the books i think just pretty much all the decisions i've not all of them but most of the decisions i made just went well i targeted triple liverpool city and arsenal and and slipped in uh, kudasevsky in there as well to make the 10th man so just focusing on those big sides really paid off starting at the back actually that's where i, I did make a little bit of a wrong decision i made a last minute switch from mendy towards to fun diaz in midfield and if i hadn't done that i'd have actually scored in the 90s so regretting Ooh. that slightly but i just i just i couldn't resist the you know, the allure of the four million goalkeeper after after schmeichel leaving but yeah just just a real turnout for the books i think and i know i may end up failing too but it's just just a great great start ultimately um <laughs> what, what can i say overall rank 44k certainly the, the best start i've ever had in in fpl so so, so really really happy with that no, excellent, excellent stuff. It's, it's always very nice, isn't it, when Game Week 1 goes pretty well. And so the, I think the double city defence was probably one of the big differentials for me. And for you, you had Kulisevsky. Yeah, I had Kyle there. Walker as well. And yeah, so I went for the double city defence. Similar outcomes to you, yeah. Kyle yeah. Walker, Cancelo in defence. And then in midfield, I went for Saka, actually. Instead, I should have said um, I went for Saka instead of Gabriel Jesus. So I went for the 4-5-1 as opposed to most people go for the 4-4-2. And, you know, that got me extra points going for Saka and Martinelli and, and Gabriel. I picked up points from all of my Arsenal players ultimately because I didn't go for that sort of Gabriel Jesus pick that was kind of so highly owned by everyone. And then Haaland, we both had Haaland as well, 13 points. I think that was, a, you know, a big win for both of us targeting him and, of course, the over, overcame. Yeah, we'll yeah, talk about that later. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely did well to avoid the FOMO on, on Jesus, that's for sure. I never considered not owning him, but it certainly makes sense, you know, looking at your setup to go the four five one with your Luke Plange and your your, your Greenwoods. Um, but hey, you know what? It, it's, it's worked out well for the first week. Let's hope it continues. Let's see how everyone else has fared. Uh, the WGCA Mini League is back for another year. The Mini League code is J-U-X-X-X-E. Yeah. Yeah, memorable, isn't it? J-U-X-X-X-E. 
I tried to find, I, I hit there and did the reload button, Nick, because you, know, you can reload the code over and over again. I sat there for a good 20 minutes hoping that WGTA would come up. It did not. <laughs> no idea. If someone wants to kind of spend an hour, no, actually, no, you have to log into my account. You can do all sorts of recourses yeah. of havoc. So I'm not letting you do that. <laughs> but yeah, um, I've tried hard, but this one, fine, I'll leave it on that. We'll probably build, a, close... build a Python bot for that, maybe. maybe yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Probably need someone cleverer than me to sort of sh show me how to do that. But yes, fair enough. Maybe there's some modelist out there who can handle that. But anyway, um, how well did everybody got on? Up top is Laurent Vazgal with Dream Team. And it certainly was a Dream Team for him. 101 points for game week one. I mean, that is that's pretty decent, isn't it? Getting uh, triple figures on the first day. I know loads of us got it last year, but this year, that's especially good. So well done to Laurent. In second is FTID FC with 99. SG, well done, Mr. G. In third, Debarkan Matey with Counter Monte Cristo with 98. He's joined by my FPL team, Rob Doran, both with 98. In joint fifth, there's three men. There's Adam Barham, Andrew Williams, and Rafi A. They all got 97. In eighth, Black Velvet, Mohamed Farhan, 96. In ninth, I believe this is a FPL Saffir on Twitter, Kevin Rose. Very well done, Kevin. 95. Very, very good for game week one. Takes him into 6.6k. Did use his bench boost, though, to get that 95. So a bit of a calculated risk there. And in joint tenth, Dominic Rust with Ride Along 22. And EJ Ibanga. With biggest force, he triple captained Haaland on game week one to get him to his 94. I should also mention as well that Rafi A, who's fifth at the moment with Darwin's Evolution, he got 97 points. He captained Kulisevsky, Nick. So, yeah, a very uh, ballsy move there for the opening day. Uh, yet another individual who's very good at riding out the FOMO, uh, much like you were with Gabriel Jesus. Right, and next one. The market forces, Nicholas. So you're back to take us through the movers and shakers in the transfer market. What's been going on? I assume, well, we already know that one big rise and fall has occurred, don't we? A lot of people are transferring in Erling Haaland. He's already had 725,000 transfers in at the time of recording. And the big man being sold is Harry Kane, of course, 587,000 transfers out. And yeah, it's worth highlighting that they were both the same price at the start of the season, 11.5. But because of all the early transfers, there's been an early price change as well, a critical one as well, because Haaland's gone up to 11.6 and Kane's dropped to 11.4. So a lot of people had to react quickly and early, unfortunately, for this one. Um, if they wanted to do that straight swap, otherwise they'd already been priced out. And, you know, we, we saw what happened at the weekend. We'll talk about it a little bit later in the pod. But obviously, Haaland's got his brace, his first two goals for Manchester City, came blanked against Southampton. So you, you can kind of understand why people are reacting so quickly as well and doing these early transfers, especially if you didn't have that sort of 0.5 million buffer in in the bank and you're planning that move. It just it just had to be done early and uh, I can understand it in, in this particular circumstance. Yeah, I mean, Kane was trying to be what he wants him to be, but what he actually was was not Haaland. And I mean, I, I, we'll talk about it later, but I completely understand why people have started with Kane and why people have pulled the trigger very early to go to Haaland. There's no midweek games, I pointed out on last week's pod. And it made a lot of sense just to do it before the prices rose. I do feel sorry for those who didn't really realise that that might be an occurrence and how 0.0 in the bank are now kind of looking at maybe taking a hit at the end of the week. But yeah, certainly um, that, yeah, have my sympathies uh, if, if that was you. Another Man City man. In fact, two ex-Man City men um, also dominating the ins and outs, right, Nick? 
One person who had a great debut for Arsenal was Alexander Zinchenko, and he's already been transferred in. Yeah, obviously he picked up an assist. He uh, also got a clean sheet, so a nice 12-point return for anyone who punted on him. So a lot of people attracted to him. I'm just a, a little bit concerned personally about Kieran Tierney and, and how he fits in alongside Zinchenko. There's um, risk there. But, you know, great stuff for Zinchenko. Obviously a lot of people looking at him as a, as a, as a great punt in their defensive line and yeah Gabriel Jesus you know a lot of people selling him as well possibly for Haaland possibly for Mitrovic uh, but you know Jesus still has some great fixtures Mitrovic actually is the third most transferred in player 37,000 transfers in at time of recording for him and yeah I mean Mitrovic is a funny one it's worth talking about briefly because you know we've been punished by this guy in the past a little bit haven't we it's his fourth campaign now in the Premier League was mm. you know we're making the Cameron Jerome jokes in the slack a little bit but you know the numbers last year in the championship were insane 43 goals in 44 games so maybe it is going to be his year and maybe you know he will break that template i certainly want to watch in the next week or two to, to see how he gets on yeah i mean as i said on the uh on the pricing pods for tabula rasa he, he seems to have a team which is set up to service him now all crosses aimed squarely for mitrovic and he definitely will be one of those players that we're going to have to consider at some point during the season but i've got no doubts about that yeah. talisman as well and elsewhere you know your man kulisevsky nick being bought by uh over 250,000 managers and marcinelli as well uh just that six million bargain basement price been brought in by about 240,000 managers. On the sales, Nick, a couple of Spurs and also a Polish international. Yeah, so Perisic is being sold. 200,000 transfers out for him. He didn't start um, this game week and then he came off the bench for a one-pointer. In, in, in the meantime, it was actually the likes of Cessinon and Emerson who did start for Spurs that delivered all the, the points and the returns from an FPL output. So the so manager slightly aggrieved there and I think with, with Perisic I think he is a really good pump for the future once he's kind of nailed down and settled in the Spurs back line but you know there were so many 5 million defenders that did well this week like Zinchenko who mentioned but also some of those that just racked up points like Kyle Walker and, and Kieran Trippier as well just getting those points a lot of people obviously transferring out Perisic and also uh, Matty, Matty Cash as well who's the fourth most transferred out defender a lot of people banking on that Villa clean sheet and they were just very poor against Bournemouth unfortunately losing 2-0 so can understand why people are kind of moving him on and, and then finally Son who you mentioned is the other Spurs player that's being sold the three Spurs players are currently being sold in, in terms of the top five transfers out even though they won 4-1 but I think a lot of people who went for Son might now be thinking oh actually I need Salah or I need Haaland and unfortunately Son like Kane perhaps is, is being a little bit of a sacrificial lamb there yep 100,000 transfers in for Mo Salah as well Cool. All right, let's take a break there and move on to the main section just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time to move on to the hot topic this week, which is how do we basically judge decision making in FPL? It's the big topic this week, I think, especially surrounding the salient Hallen Kane call, no salad to some extent. I think we'll stay away from the specifics of talking about that mostly. Instead, WGTA it, i.e. look at it strategically and give a macro view rather than delving into making judgments off uh, one data point. So let's get into it then and start off with looking at outcome bias. So outcome bias behaviorally is quite interesting. I don't think we actually got around to talking about it on the behavioral science pod in the summer, but outcome bias or resulting in poker is something I've mentioned a few times in the past. 
And it's the single biggest thing I see happening in game weeks like this, when there's a 50-50, which has dictated the fortunes of individuals. I think that's fair to say this week, but one 50-50 call, maybe two 50-50 calls has really kind of swayed how your week has gone. Simply put, outcome bias is a tendency to evaluate the quality of a decision based on the outcome rather than the thought process. People who succeed are assumed to have made better decisions, therefore, than people who failed. Now, there's several points of authority on this. I did a bit of research all around it on this one. And the first thing I did, actually, was re-listen to an interview I listened to in Australia, actually, uh, when you and Anthony were running the pod for me kindly when I, was, when I was away. That was with a poker champion called Annie Duke on the Bloomberg Masters in Business podcast. And it was fascinating when she spoke about this idea of resulting or outcome bias. She said, we have this very uncertain relationship between decision quality and outcome quality. In poker, she said, for example, you can have the very best hand, but you can still lose hand too. And that's basically what we see in FPL. We see the outcomes. Like in FPL, we see that Hallen scored 13 points this week, whereas Kane scored two, Salah scored 12, Son scored five. But can we then walk that back into a faulty decision-making process? I don't know. I don't know. You can straw man whatever scapegoat you, you like for why you went down a particular path. But it's an open question at the moment as to whether that's a good or bad decision in game week one. And Duke says under those conditions of uncertainty, we have this outcome bias, this heuristic, which is if the outcome was bad, then it must be the decision was bad. I think that's quite a kind of problematic approach, Nick. I mean, I myself have fallen prey to this a few times in my struggles as well, like panicking when the call hasn't come off, selling that player too early, and then next week they do something. I've done that multiple times over the course of the last five, six years, so I'm not immune from this at all. And it exists a lot in the academic papers as well. So a good study I read earlier on today was, an, was a UPenn experiment to ask subjects whether a certain city should have employed flood risks and used a part of a city's budget to mitigate against flooding. When exposed to the evidence that the city had at the time, so before a flood occurred, 24% of people felt that they should take flood risk precautions and put some of the budget in that area. When they were exposed to the outcome, the action was supposed to prevent. So a flood did happen. What should they do? 56% of people said that flood precautions need to be taken. So the outcome changed perceptions around decision making. And in life and as an FPL, this means that when it comes to 50-50s, people who made one type of decision, such as being cautious, not risking it, when they succeed, they're often punished less than those who took risks if they don't work out and are punished more if they do, like capturing a mad pick that pays off. And as we'll talk about later, there's a real goldfish bowl that this plays out in these days in FPL because of the increasing audience. But I, I'm simply not sure that judging anything on outcome alone is a good thing. I, I don't think anyone would ever say that. I think it's one of those things that because there's a vacuum of too many other things to talk about this week, it's that, it's, we're really zeroing in, Nick, aren't we, on that Hallen Kane call. What do you make of all this, Nick? Do, do you see outcome bias a lot? I know you're not on Twitter that much these days, but I mean, what's your view on this? That's, that's actually really interesting what you're saying about the the, the flood defences example there. I'm I'm surprised. I would have probably said that the outcome, if if the houses all got flooded, that 100 percent would have said we should have put some flood defences up, as opposed to only 56 percent still. Uh, still they they were they call. were just they were just they weren't people who lived in that city. They were people who so were they, to, you know, they weren't people who actually had lost all their possessions based on the, yeah. the, the flood. Then they were just they were just randoms looking at it from a distance. No, okay, fair enough. But yeah, you know, I think obviously, uh, as you said, the, the big calls this week perhaps were over picking those Spurs assets over the um, 
Haaland and, and the Salas. And, and you know, ultimately, it's, it's very easy to make those quick-fire judgments and use that hindsight bias and, and be one of those guys on Twitter saying, I told you so after the event. You know, no, no one likes to see that at all. And, you know, you know, ultimately, if, if you do badly, you, you do feel like you've, you've messed up. You do feel kind of to a certain extent, oh, no, you know, I made the wrong decision there. I, you can't help but look at that outcome. And, and it's just the other way around as well. Like, it's what I found quite interesting, actually, was just on, on Twitter, like, um, this account being praised, and I think it was the highest scorer without using chips, and he got 114 points. But, you know, looking at the team, there was, like, Lloyd Kelly in there for the 12-pointer and Georgino for the 11-pointer. And you're like, hold on, hold on a second. We're, this, this guy might be being praised, but yeah, yeah. Were, were they, were, you know, was the outcome really there when, you know, who, who could have foreseen that 12 pointer from Lloyd Kelly, for instance, and, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't on the cards at all. So I think obviously, you know, the outcome is obviously excellent when you, when you do really well, but, you know, in, in that particular extreme example, some of those picks were a little bit questionable. And I, I think certainly in FPL, you, this happens all the time. But I think this week, because it's game week one, we've all had a long summer of no FPL. And you're kind of thrown into it and just such such a critical decision, kind of and such a strong swing between the sort of the no Salas and the, the no Harlands versus the Sons and Canes. I think just it just does feel magnified to, to a certain degree this week. But, you, you know, you can understand the reasoning behind decisions in the first place. Yeah, definitely. I, I think with all of this, it's, it's like I've been on the wrong side of numerous 50-50s in my mm-hmm. FPL career, as long-term listeners will know. And I always just think, you know, if my thinking was sound, I'm not going to get too upset about it. After all, it's just FPL. I've got more important things in my life, you know. It's not something inside me that pulls beneath the surface, consuming, confusing what is real. The key thing for me is peace of mind. I've gotten better at kind of making my decision and closing the door behind it. I'll happily reevaluate a decision in the cold light of day. But it's often a futile exercise to apply, you know, full on regret to a decision making process and think, you know, you're right. Like you do think, oh, God, the outcome is bad. What have I done wrong? Often it's actually quite difficult. And it's, I think trusting you've made the right decisions or at least the decision process was good helps you kind of recognize this outcome bias and helps you kind of get over it. But I equally recognise I've had a very poor record in FPO over the last few seasons, so I can't entirely dismiss outcomes. I'm a content creator. It's not as if I've not been analysing potential outcomes for each wrong decision that I made in depth. 50-50s have been brutal for me in the last few years. So to be honest, even though I tried, it all fell apart. And what it meant to me would eventually be a memory of the time I tried so hard and got so far. But in the end, due to 50-50s, it didn't really matter. And I don't know, I, I still hold on to the idea that FPL is about putting yourself in the position to be lucky. And you know, we've watched so much football in our lives, especially over, you know, when we're in lockdown, Project Restart, just in general. And there's so much, you know, when you watch it from an FPL perspective, there's so many sort of pieces of luck, randomness, sliding doors moments which dictate outcomes you know from Paul Gascoigne missing that sliding chance versus Germany to Salah being arguably gifted that goal against Fulham things can always be so damn different if things were just a tiny bit different so yeah you know for me peace of mind is really key and it's not so much about questioning was it the right decision it's about asking myself am I happy with the decision I've made and I think that kind of is is kind of how I sum it up and Nick how do you weigh decisions by their outcome versus the thinking is it the same as me 
Yeah, I think so. I think I kind of follow a, a similar approach to you. I think, you know, looking at the outcome, it, when it doesn't work out, and, and we've got so many examples of this in the past, I think actually the, the most infamous example perhaps was when we both didn't captain Salah in that. And I think that was the last time I actually went to an FPL meet. It was just the Chef Fest when Salah destroyed United. And I, I went for Vardy as a captain against um, Brentford and got one point. And I think you were part of the Havertz Brigade they got the, the three points there oh. and we just got and we just got absolutely destroyed and and, and it was just one of those cases where like you do look at it you like did I make the right decision there perhaps not but you know I, I think that is part and parcel the, the fun of FPL as well to a certain extent we, we can all kind of be you know these robotic drones that just you know follow the algorithms week in week out and keep the captain on Salah but you know you do have to kind of try and find that balance, that perfect difference between having fun and kind of just going straight with what you think the best decision is and what the analytics are saying. So it is a tough one, ultimately. Oh, it definitely is. It's it's really tough to be a content creator, especially, I'm not talking about myself here, I'm talking about those who are much more successful and more high profile than I am. They'll probably be like, I don't know what you're expecting of me, put under the pressure of walking in my own shoes while I'm caught in the undertow of just being an amateur podcaster. But yeah, I suppose we should probably mention it quickly, shouldn't we? I mean, on Haaland and Kane and on Son versus Salah as well, clearly the outcome couldn't have been more stark. And the natural question to apply what we've been talking about would then become, was it a terrible mistake to start with the Spurs men? And I mean, there's a bit of an unpleasant sort of underbelly, which is, as you mentioned earlier, Nick, is going around going, oh, I told you so, you shouldn't have done that, you bloody idiot. And we both started with Haaland and uh, Salah, but I, I still think the answer is no, it wasn't a terrible mistake. Like It's so easy to look at outcomes and use them as a proxy for judging decisions, like I said earlier on. But the reality is hindsight's 2020 vision, you know. Tottenham were expected to beat Southampton comfortably, and they did. The fact that four Spurs goals were scored, and only one return came from the premium duo. It's simply something that can happen in the beautiful randomness of football. See also Kai Havertz blanking in that 7-0 Norwich game. And it was a decent bet to make. It really was. Like, if things turned differently. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these things are swings and roundabouts. I mean, I do have to say that I think you do have to weigh up the outcome and and, and kind of look at it and you say, right, if you didn't go for Salah and Haaland, could you have foreseen the events and the alternative outcome? And if that's the case, did you have a backup plan? And if, if you don't have a backup plan or there wasn't, you know, you don't have a route to, to get Salah and, or Haaland in for the week later to kind of rectify your position, then... That's where you can see it perhaps more on the blunder side than the bad luck. And maybe I'm being a little bit harsh, but that's just, mm-hmm. just kind of how I kind of see it to a certain extent as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean but on the, on the other side of it, though, like you know, if they had outscored Haaland and Salah, then you would probably have had one or two assets with a spoiler ownership and a flying start over everybody else. So it, it's, mm-hmm. it's you can you can see that how the odds kind of fell. And if you are one of those unfortunate ones, I'd say this, you know, this is one of those moments which occur throughout the FPL season where you've got to think to yourself, the decision-making process, I said earlier, was fine. The outcome didn't fall my way. Dust yourself off and move on. Simple as that. And as you saw in the market forces, Nick, many have already done so. You know, Kane to Haaland, raising the price in conjunction. The FPL season is so long, isn't it? And there's so many opportunities to make up points as well. Loads of 50-50 situations to come that you may or may not find yourself on the right side of. Just keep back in your instincts, you know, stay calm and don't panic. Uh, one of the game weeks ahead will go your way and you'll reap the rewards when backing your judgment. 
and you know on all the stuff that's going on on twitter don't worry if you're not on it you're not missing anything but i just think if the outcome was different this would simply be a non-issue you mentioned the hindsight bias earlier nick and that's an interesting one as well uh, it's another really interesting name for that is creeping determinism <laughs> better known as the i knew it all along effect and it's basically the same as outcome bias it's the commonly observed behavior for people to act like a result was more predictable after the fact than it was at the time, shockingly. I think mean, there's definitely a few ways to sort of mitigate against this, or at least to kind of guard against kind of this lurch into hindsight bias. I think it kind of, as we all say, hindsight is 2020 vision. There's a few things that I do do. I write down my initial decision every week. So this week I've got my... Uh, my memo on my phone, I've just written role transfer, basically, and then see if I'm still feeling the same on Friday. Obviously, if I'm screwed by price movements, then that changes. So if I did own Kane game week one, I would have moved to Halland on Sunday. I try not to make decisions under stress, if possible, to ward off decision fatigue. That was really bloody difficult during the COVID periods to me. And um, But in an ideal world, I'd do that. And I, I try to recognize, and it's very hard to do so, when I'm in a negative decision spiral. You know, when you're like, oh, whatever I do, I do it wrong. Therefore, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I try to stick to the same process and recognize again that sometimes it's just kind of, you know, bad luck. And it's, it's all really a matter of perspective, isn't it? Like if something goes wrong, I tend to look at it on the pod and I appreciate not everyone has that sort of outlet, but I have the time to look at it on the pod and work it out, talk it through. And often, you know, if I've made a mistake, mitigating factors like overthinking or overdrinking have led to it. And in many ways, you can put everything down to something else and avoid responsibility. No, that could be really helpful for some, like blaming luck, blaming experts. I think the reality is, as FPL Raptor said on the behavioral science pod, once the deadline is gone, that's it. You know, you've got your result effectively. And the fact we don't know the outcome is what makes FPL so exciting and Moorish because those big wins are cherished, aren't they? And they really make up for these sort of deep lows in our bizarre existence in this strange part of, uh, of, of the virtual space. But how do you avoid emotional reactions in hindsight, Nick? Are, are you the sort of person who kind of just tries to let yourself cool off? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm never one to kind of make a decision or make a transfer immediately after a game. I, I certainly always kind of give myself that breathing space just to kind of look back at the decisions I've made in the previous game, really understand the reasons why I made those decisions. Typically, it's with a sort of five or six game week mindset yeah. and, and then and stick and well, not necessarily stick to the plan because that's not always the answer, but kind of, you know, assess the new situation, find that moment to just say, right, OK, I made a bad call here by not bringing in a player. Can I rectify that decision? Can I bring him in now? If not, what can I do to get him in? Did I bring the wrong player in? Should I be getting rid of them straight away? It's just it's just giving yourself a little bit of time. And ultimately, it isn't all about time. You know, looking at the data sets, looking at the, you know, say the analytics or whatever, looking at the looking at the performance on the pitch as well, the eye test, and just kind of weighing up all those different factors. And then deciding what to do off the back of that. But I think the key element to, is, is to avoid a instantaneous reaction just just give yourself that moment because you know that sometimes you have to react quickly like with the price rises and price changes this week but typically you, you do normally have a few days to kind of consider what you're planning what you're doing there's normally fixtures midweek in 
in most weeks as well, European fixtures or cup fixtures typically. So just to not rush and just and just to kind of frame your decision and, and, and take the emotion out of it as much as you can. As we're not we're not all mind the drones ultimately. <laughs> we're not all kind of like Borg. robots, Borg, Borg. Yeah, exactly. We're not all Borgs just kind of following a collective mindset. We, but you know, just giving yourself you know a little bit of time just to kind of really weigh up why you're making your decision and, and understanding why you're doing it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with reacting quickly as well if you feel like you've made a mistake. I mean, Kane to Hallands, as I, as I said, completely understand that. Remember last season, I went with Gundogan over Jota, and Jota then went on and scored against Arsenal, and I immediately reversed that decision, took Gundogan out for Jota, and profited basically when he went, went on a very good run. So, Nick, how do we judge decision making in FPL? I mean, from the discussion we've had, what would your kind of closing thoughts be? Yeah, I think ultimately with, with decision making in FPL, you're always. And this is just the reality of the game. Unfortunately, you, you can you can frame your decisions, but you're always going to be determined by that most most basic of metrics. And this is really boring, but it's just basically how you're going to be judged is is on how you score and what your overall rank finishes. But you know, if if you don't perform well, if, if you go against the grain, you can always look at your decision and say, actually, I agree with what I did. I do actually believe in, in something of a, a bit of a hybrid theory as, as we're kind of moving back to that sort of Borg template stuff. Some picks, they are templates for a reason, but you can kind of look to try and find that element of a differential. So in my mind, to try and avoid just being too assimilated into that hive mind, for instance, I went for Saka over Jesus, as I said, went for the midfielder over the forwards, slightly slightly mixed up with the 4-5-1, went for someone as well who was a bit more of a you know, a separate pick, which is Kudasevsky over Kane and Son. And and yeah, that, that worked out for me. But many managers might say, they might look at the analytics and, you know, this week the analytics won, but there's been so many weeks in, over the past season where I've seen people on Twitter saying, oh, I'm doing really badly, but the analytics were there, you know, and arguing that the analytics were there and their decision was right because of the analytics. It just didn't work out that way. And there's countless examples of that last season as well. And over the course of the season, some of the best managers in FPL have amazing histories and it might not work out for them week in, week out. It never does. It's a game. It's, there's an element of luck, but over the history, you know, you tend to kind of revert to a mean of, of quality performance ultimately, I think. Oh, I love the Fabian Delph reference there. It's the rules of the game. <laughs> and also the uh, the Trekkie reference, assimilating information. Brilliant. I, I've got visions of Analytics FC as Borg drones now. <laughs> Excellent stuff. And um, as you said, though, Nick, it's about recognising there's a role for randomness, luck, variance, whatever you want to call it in sports and fantasy sports. It creates you know, variance, uh, which is a fancy word for randomness, deviation from the expected mean. Like, think about it. At least I do. I, I, maybe I've watched too much, too many Stranger Things. I've got images of a grandfather clock in my head. But I think about like a like a pendulum swinging between three points. You know, on the left, totally against you in the middle, matching your expectations, kind of. And on the right, you know, when things totally go your way, you have one of those game weeks where you get a hundred, hundred plus. Everyone does something, and and you're really kind of in hay. What makes it swing really though is down to that factor of luck, randomness, variation, variance. It's all uncontrollable. And as I said a second ago, well, a little while ago now, FPL was a lot about putting yourself in a position to get lucky. Again, it's not me hiding behind luck as a catch-all. There's many things, as Nick said, with the kind of managers who just churn out good seasons year in, year out. 
there are things that they do to improve things. And that often tends to be from conversations with the likes of Matthew Jones and Abdul, FPL Salah last year. Things like guarding against overthinking via decision fatigue. Things like over-management, which I think I'll try to, you know, there'll be, there should be a reanimation of that topic later on in the season, that's for sure. And as Nick said, you know, taking a moment just to kind of take the emotion out of it. We try to control this stuff, this FPL malarkey, as much as we can through careful planning and research and analysis. But often you're just at the mercy of fine margins falling your way or not. And you know, I'm sure I'll get a bit annoyed by that at some points during the season, but I've become so numb to them as well. I don't feel them there like I used to. I've become so much more aware that there's more to life than being pissed off by fantasy football over the last kind of six years. And that's because they've been a bad six years. But you know what I mean? It's just it's hopefully that you can derive from that. And recognizing all these things and the fact you've infused your thinking with reason, I think that should be enough for you. Like outcome bias does exist, but I think it's one where we can be pretty happy. I think from the conversation we've had, just acknowledge it, you know, and try to move away from it. Except in moments like making the transfer where it makes sense to quickly remedy the situation. Excellent. Cool. Very interesting. Let's take a break there and move on to the first Q&A of this season. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's it's time for our Q&A section. Um, so the, the first question is all about being back in the 2018-19. So friends of the pod, Chris FPL Janino, he's asked us uh, if it's back to 2018 with Haaland's arrival, but with a reference to sort of Aguero, I guess, um, when we had the best Liverpool attacker, Salah, and City attacker each week. And we have to give the captaincy to the one which has the easiest game. And I guess it kind of leans on a little bit in terms of a, a captaincy discussion for this week as well. Salah, Haaland, they're the two main guys. Who are we going for? I think overall, it's, it's quite interesting uh, just to discuss to some extent. I mean, I, I don't mind that you've got this Aguero-Salah dichotomy back this year. I'm not a big fan of captaincy as it is, just because I've had really terrible experiences with it over the last kind of five or six years, as it's so prone to 50-50 swings we've spoken about, making or breaking your game week. And if you get a few of them wrong, that's your season in the trash. I mean, we'll see if things actually do get easier, to be honest. This week, we've got Liverpool and City playing Palace and Bournemouth, respectively. And in game week four, it's the opposite. So Liverpool then play Bournemouth and City then play Palace. And it may be that, you know, Palace continue a fallow run and Bournemouth may kind of then have a good game, first game. But they could fall off the fall off a cliff. And then you're kind of looking again at a split being quite close. And it'll be like I'm paranoid looking over my back at one option. And it will be a whirlwind inside of my head as I try to figure out who to go with. And I, I hate it when that happens, to be honest. I just The captaincy for me, is it's always been a bit of a kryptonite sort of view to me. But I don't know, if anything, that kind of makes it easier just to focus on squad composition. I don't know whether that's a bit of a cop-out, but I just like the fact that it becomes more about the players you bring in around the peripheries, getting those individual bandwagons right, getting that judgment right, and whether you take a hit each week and all that sort of thing. I, I like the fact that it brings the focus on those things rather than did I happen to get a 50-50 call right every week. I think captaincy wise I've, I don't know like Harlan uh, against West Ham I think he's the real deal that's for sure it silenced the critics in the after the community shields the second goal uh, which featured 
that kind of freakish burst of pace to create and score with a plum his his one on one from the De Bruyne through ball that was particularly eye catching wasn't it and despite Bournemouth as I said keeping Villa at bay for the opening weekend I think City sporting that innovative two three five system in attack and Moy said afterwards that West Ham couldn't get near them you know they had too much for uh, too much for West Ham I think they might have too much for the Cherries as well. And yeah, the guys have massed 2.6 XG in two games in English football. And I, I don't know, maybe it's plan continuation bias, sunk cost, Nick. But for me, you know, I started the season with him thinking he'll be my captain this week. And managers are already flocking to join me, it seems, with Haaland rising in price. And I just, I find it very difficult to see past Haaland this week. I mean, what, what do you think about both this return to an older mode of playing with two clear captaincy options, just rotating. And I know you've got Salah, haven't you, as your captain this week at the moment, your bus team? Yeah, he is captain in my bus team. I think it, it definitely adds a new dynamic to the game. I think since Salah's arrival, this this kind of been a very clear auto-captain pick week in, week out. And there's not really been that debate or anyone who's been able to consistently rival him. I mean, occasionally you might you know, last season you might have captain the likes of Son or someone over Salah if Son had a clear, better fixture. But typically you'd have just captain Salah, especially for these sort of plum home games against um, the likes of Palace. And you know, that does that feels like a perfect fixture for Salah and, and you know you know, I don't I don't want to be caught in caught in the undertow of the wrong decision. And you know, there is that risk there especially with the effective ownerships, you know, that both of them are going to be over 100%, I think, next week. So you will see that even if, if for the one you don't captain, you're going to be negatively affected, especially in some of your mini leagues. I, I still favour Salah, and I do have a few reasons behind it. I don't know if they're kind of weak source reasons or not, but I just think that Salah still has a, a little bit more of a higher seeding than Haaland, personally. And what I will say about this is there's a couple of reasons, and it's mainly about FPL positioning, but I think that Haaland, he does offer a lot for goals. I'm, I'm not convinced yet he offers a lot for assists. I can see him sort of being kind of like one of those sort of Harry Kane type, um, old Harry Kane type picks where you get like, 30 goals in the season and, and two assists to a company, for instance. And I think with Salah as well, you know, they equaled each other this game week, but he does get an extra point for goal. He does offer assists. He gets an extra point for clean sheets. And that's just why I think yeah. he perhaps has a little bit more um, in terms of what he offers over Haaland still. In terms of the fixtures, I think the Bournemouth started off pretty well against Villa, but Manchester City is going to be a much, much meaner opposition so I, I definitely could see Harlan picking up a couple of goals against them as well at the moment it is on Salah but certainly uh, when, when we get close to the deadline I'm, I might make the switch back to Harlan it's, it's not by any means guaranteed that decision at all yeah no, definitely I think what's interesting here though is to discuss Darwin Nunez and there's a few questions on this I think I'm going to just, just push that question uh, up in the running order uh, Andy uh, at Fancy Guide FPL Ask, can we remove Jesus for Darwin in future? Even though he acknowledges that Jesus has Bournemouth in game week three. And Sim, the troublemaker at CYI done, also is interested in Nunez. And he even floats you know, this big up top with Nunez, Haaland and Kane. Can we see that coming into vogue? I think uh, Nunez is really interesting. I think that, that might be kind of a bit of an antidote to that kind of what you were saying about Salah a little bit. I mean, oh, it's a one game basis. Yes, I mean, we know that. Uh, Nunez had the highest XGI in the Prem, though, uh, this whole 
opening weekend, 1.6 in just 40 minutes. Mark uh, Van Zyl Scout, uh, Mark Southerns, was mentioning this as well. And he could change how Liverpool play. And it could see Salah's potency change as well. Like in the Athletic, they were suggesting that Salah's overall deployment will be altered a bit because there's a central focal point now who operates differently to how Firmino did. Firmino was all about making space for others and he was being very selfless. Nunez, I think, is a bit more selfish. Like he's looking to score goals for himself rather than make goals for others. And in answer to Andy's question, I'm sure Nick Wecker me here. I'm not sure at the moment about selling Jesus anytime soon, but I can see why your eye's been caught by the by the Uruguayan like Sims has. And you know, in terms of that question, having the big at the front, I still feel like having the premium mid is probably going to be important. I certainly get the willies about not owning and therefore not having the options of Captain Mo every week. And as our friend Bernardo's Maldonado, Matt, uh, said, astutely in our slack. What's interesting about Darwin is that we might, especially if we if he starts to, as I said, in the positioning, diminish Mo's potential, be able to rely on him as the main Liverpool attacker in the future. And other players like Sterling, Bruno, Son, De Bruyne, who are shut out due to having no room at the end because you're on Salah and Haaland could suddenly become considerable, especially if Darwin and Haaland are viable captain picks. Like It makes me feel dirty at the moment, though, Nick, to even consider countenance going without Salah. Like, I feel bad. I feel so faithless, lost under the surface, saying that. Uh, we'll see it basically sim. Um, it could be a bold risk that comes off this big at the front thing. But, I mean, Nunez, Nick, I think that maybe, it's because I'm sure he'll be in line to start against Crystal Palace. Maybe he might change the dynamic of that uh, Liverpool forward line in a way we've not seen because we've not seen Salah play with an out and out centre forward, have we? Yeah, you are making me doubt my captaincy decision a little bit with, with some of that rhetoric and positivity around around Darwin Nunes as well. But you know, also you haven't mentioned Luis Diaz as well, who who hit the woodwork and how he can impact. But of course, you know he's. It's less of a formation shift in in that respect because he's essentially going to be sort of playing more of that Sadio Mane role. But you know, at eight million, he can perhaps be the, the midfield enabler for our Liverpool team as well. Especially if you think that there, there's an opportunity to go without Salah in the game, and and I, I don't think we're quite there yet. Just just mainly because of effective ownership. But you could say perhaps you, you could go for a sort of more of a, a Nunes Diaz pivot and, and double up on on your Liverpool attack that way I, I think in terms of the sort of big up top I think you probably know my views there already that I'm I'm not particularly proud of the the, the front line the the old classic which was kind of the that's kind of the way we used to play FBO actually back five years ago or so I remember our days of Costa Kane, Kaku, Aguero sort of rotations going on and that kind of premium front three I think we've just it kind of feels a little bit antiquated. Um, and maybe Nunes and Haaland, you know, these exciting new attackers joining the league will change that. I mean, maybe we will start to see a bit more money thrown up top. But for now, I just feel like there's better value in the defence and the midfield. So I'm, I'm not going to be rushing to kind of bring in an extra attacker from my perspective, yet, yeah, even though, as you said, Darwin started brilliantly, I don't think there's a case of moving on Jesus to, to Darwin as of yet. I don't think we've evolved that far uh, still. Yeah, no, certainly. I, I'm still the same as you. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm willing to give uh, Jesus some time. Would have got an assist this week if Odegaard had taken a shot rather than trying to pass it. Thing of Arsenal, mate, we were trying to walk the ball in. 
ridiculous all right uh next question i catching blanca so friend of the pod adam pritchard three five who punchard asks which player that didn't return caught our eye nonetheless i mean any players in the league who didn't return this week catch your eye nick yeah. and so i thought oh, yeah yeah i kind of thought this was his uh his chance to have have us shout out his own pick here to a certain extent with adam's own aronson it was unlucky actually it seemed like he had scored but ended up being an own goal and i know i've seen a lot of leeds fans who are waxing lyrical about this guy new american the club only 21 years old he's only 5.5 million in in midfield, you know, so perhaps he could be that kind of midfield cheaper differential, especially after, you know, the likes of Bailey, the likes of Neto did end up blanking. For me, I tried to look around who, who did well that didn't blank. There was a few players that kind of still did quite well that were on, off the radar, like Madison, but he did pick up an assist. But I think for players that didn't even score at all, Matt Aronson was, was just the one that I just wanted to quickly shout out. Yeah, no, good. So I, I did look at Aronson before game week one, but I just concluded there wasn't enough data on him beyond the YouTube highlight reel because Stats1 doesn't carry Austrian Premier Bundesliga data. So I couldn't really assess how good he was. Uh, so maybe the models were right in this occasion based on one week. Hey, who knows? And yeah, the one to bear in mind, especially uh, with uh, Bailey and Neto, was we'll quite later, certainly failing to impress in their early audition. For me, in terms of pure football, it was Gundogan at City. Uh, simply a fabulous player. Uh, watching him, wow. Like, really good in the game. Like, incredible close control. And a couple of really cool moments showing his in-game intelligence as well. The take from Cancelo before the pass through to Haaland to win that penalty was was just brilliant. It really was. Like, a really nice sort of on-the-half turn. And in the second half, he did a turn after possession turnover which took out two players in one movement. I simply just a sumptuous footballer and really high in the position maps as well. Probably not an FPL asset currently, but, you know, there we go. In terms of the player who didn't return, which caught my eye, though, I'm going to combine this with the question from Joshua Biggs uh, at what the Big C, who asked if we would keep Diaz for one more game or would one of the other 8.0s uh, be kind of looking uh, more interesting to us? And he also asked which one it was the worst, uh, which I'll speak to about in just a second. Um, but yeah, Diaz, I thought, I thought it was it was kind of a, an exercise in points dodging a little bit by him. As Nick mentioned, you know, hit the woodwork, pretty decent in the game, more of an offside as well for that lovely curl finish. Had a couple of other moments didn't quite go his way. I mean, there's definitely a fear with him that he could be all fart, no poo, as some are suggesting. But I remain fairly happy with him for that Palace game, at least. You basically saw him a lot of the time. Robertson basically had that entire left flank. He ended up in centre forward a lot. And Firmino was kind of out and just about on the left-hand side. And we saw that with Martinelli and Jesus, too, for Arsenal. And as you said, Nick, I, I just kind of feel like points are going to come from him. If they don't come from him over the long term, then he's going to go in the bin. Moving on to Joshua's question in general, I will be keeping Diaz Joshua for this one. And then I'm probably looking at Kulu. Um, so I'm, I'm locked into Free City, or I'll be in interested in Foden, as I said last week. Uh, 6.6 points per 90 uh, over the last two seasons, which is very good. Uh, very muted against West Ham, that I felt as well. Uh, but Kulu, as Nick <laughs> astutely recognised, uh, by picking him early on was, was obviously a great sort of sop for not being able to fit in the premiums for Spurs and their fixtures get pretty good 
really after game week three. I mean, the Chelsea game's the, bit, the biggie. And then between game weeks three and six, something like that, they play Wolves, Nottingham Forest, West Ham and Fulham. And you expect, expect them to do well in that. So I'd really be looking perhaps at moving Diaz to Kulu. If things don't go well for Diaz in the second game, it's kind of going with that. Like as Nick mentioned, a few of the eights look pretty good this game week. You know, Madison, as Nick mentioned, Saka got in the points as well. And the worst one, I think, was Mares, underlying why he's only really a free hit pick. And then with a distinct nose hold, dumb minutes to midnight, he was on late, wasn't he, in that game? And Mount, too, was pretty quiet in the Chelsea game. I mean, Nick, I, I, I know you're keeping Diaz, um, but you've got two eights, haven't you, in your setup? Yeah, I've actually got three eights in my team. So three eights? I've got oh my God. Uh, Kulisevsky, I've got Saka, and, and I've got Luis Diaz. So yeah, Madman. Three of them. But um, yeah, I mean, Kulisevsky, he was excellent. Saka, I'm, I'm pleased with his performance. And Luis Diaz was the only one to blank for me. But yeah, you've kind of alluded to the point that, you know, hopefully he doesn't continue to blank, but certainly he performed well. And yeah, I think Mad Madison was worth a shout out, especially like that, that run from sort of game week six to 13. I, I think I'll be really considering putting him in for that particular run because Leicester just have this excellent run of fixtures. I think they only play Spurs out of the top six over that period and they're just playing a lot of dross like sort of Norwich and not Norwich so Nottingham Forest and um, in Leeds and Bournemouth <laughs> and Fulham and stuff so they've got a really nice fixture run. I've, I actually forgot about Mares as an 8 million pick so that's obviously a good shout out for the worst but the, the player I was actually going to call out for just you know, not being particularly great was was Mason Mount, and it's not like he performed badly or anything like that. I just think what what's interesting about him is just how much he was shown up by a six million defender in his in his team, Reese James. Just doing comparison between sort of what Reese James offered and what Mason Mount offered in that game just proves the point that actually is it worth having this guy or is it worth disinvesting and putting money in the defense as well? Because James did seventeen crosses compared to Mount's two. And he had 30 final third passes compared to Mount 17. And James was just all over the corners, set pieces, just really sort of negated Mount's sort of attacking influence and impact. And Reese James's defender, he's two million cheaper. He just looks like such a better FPL pick compared to what Mason Mount offered. And even with the yellow card, he still picked up a couple of cheeky bonus and, yeah. um, and, and for, for the clean sheet as well. So just proves that particular point. So... I, you know, I kind of understand why a few people mounted up and, and went for him, but I think you know your money's best spent on that Chelsea defence. I think ultimately, yeah, I know for sure. I, I mean, obviously those corners were, were huge and those cross numbers weren't there. I mean, I think there were like ten corners from the left hand sides during that game. There was a, that kind of spate of corners in the first half where Holgate kept heading it out for another corner, and James kept kind of crossing up and hitting the first man who was Holgate every single time. Yeah, getting two bonus points from the yellow. Same as Cancelo really shows what monsters these fullbacks or wingbacks, however he wants to define them, tend to be. I mean, the only thing to reference with James is the links with another wingback. So yep. Dumfries, I think, has been referenced. Carl Walker-Peters has been referenced. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with him. Um, at the moment, obviously, keep him in your team if you do own him and do keep an eye on him if you don't. Because six million for him in that spot is ludicrous value, and they do have decent fixtures after this game week has gone. Leeds, Leicester, Southampton, and West Ham after Spurs. So one to keep an eye on, that's for sure. But if there is an attacking win back that does come in, 
But I think things start to become a bit more dicey looking at the Chelsea players. Maybe like, you know, Koulibaly or something could then become of interest because he has a better ex-mins than Reese James does. But yeah, no, that's one for the future, definitely. Right, a penultimate question. Midfield enabler wobbles. Mark at FPL Positivity asks if Bailey and Neto posted encouraging stats or should we start to consider removing them now? Well, neither did, obviously. I mean, Pudence did a goal, which is a kick in the teeth, obviously, for Neto fans. And Villa appeared to be incapable of finding that final ball against Bournemouth. And that dislodged the Bailey bobsleigh from the track. I mean, I was never convinced by Neto or Wolves. And it looks like Euro fantasy favourite Gonzalo Guedes is uh, now going to be joining them. So that could, again, uh, complicate matters there. Uh, in terms of Bailey, I know he didn't return, but I take great heart in the fact that he didn't get subbed off and Villa were chasing the game. Played the full 90, despite the fact that there were five subs available. Other players who were attacking were brought on, the likes of Buendia, the likes of Watkins. So hopefully that means he's playing a big role in Gerard's system. So good for Everton, right? The fact is, though, the system didn't work. <laughs> so it may be that the Bailey bobsleigh doesn't end up in the bin. At 5.0, it was still an okay bet, I think. He may well end up being removed ultimately for someone else like Josh Silver or Lavia at uh, Southampton. Just because Pereira uh, at Fulham looked a valid 11th man because he was so high up the pitch, was on all set pieces, and he could be one that you could throw in, elevate the other 10, you know? I'm going to definitely give Bailey Everton, but after that, it's open season, really. We'll see what happens, especially if he doesn't do anything there. I mean, Nick, you started, you said earlier on, with no budget mids whatsoever, the three eights, Martinelli and Salah. Uh, was it the shoddiness of these options which kind of led you away? And would you be saying to people to you know, eventually think about moving them on? Yeah, I don't know if it was the shoddiness of the options. I just ended up with a, a more premium uh, midfield. You know, I, you know, I said to you that I actually thought I had one in my team. I completely forgot that I, I'd moved Bailey on close to the deadline. But I think in terms of the, the picks, I think pre-season, we all saw that Bailey was performing excellently. We all kind of looked at Neto's pricing at 5.5 and thought, actually, he's, he's a great shout. And, um, you know, they, they, did, they did blank, obviously, this week. But I, I don't necessarily think there needs to be a rush to remove them. You know, you look at some of the other options out there, there's nothing that's exciting us too much anyway. You can say, oh, yeah, Pascal Gross did well again with his brace against United. He's an old classic sort of pod favourite from when oh, we started. Yeah. But, um, but you know, um, it would feel a bit, a bit knee-jerky, I think, to kind of target Gross off the back of that one performance. You don't need to kind of rush to kind of make changes here. There's normally other fires to put out or you're better off rolling your transfer and seeing what happens after the next game week, as Tom suggested. So, you know, I think there are other options down in that sort of cheaper price bracket. But I think, you know, both both players did all right. Neto had a few shots. Bailey, as I said, we were a bit disappointed with what he offered, but he was doing very well pre-season. So certainly still got that potential. And he said he, he played 90 minutes as well. So um, obviously got the backing of the boss currently. Yeah, I mean, gross. Seven goals against Man United in his Bryson career. This week, both conversions at the back post. Maybe he just hates United as much as some United fans seem to. You know? <laughs> Didn't he um, get bonus points one time he when did. he lost yes. against United yeah, and he, he didn't actually return? Yeah, he got three bonus points because he created loads of big chances. And classic Brighton, classic Brighton and ex-Albion uh, weren't able to score. 
yeah, I remembered that fact as well. Yeah, Talisman Theory, hero, wasn't he, in that first season? I think got 164 points, something like that, in 2017-18. Um, and absolutely smashed it. I remember we did the prospects and the prospects. Well, it's really going far back, isn't it? Where we pointed out that he created more chances for English stats than Mesut Ozil did in the Premier League. So that's one of the classic who got the CS pod stats that somehow was just stuck in my memory as well. I think we must have said it so many times. Just I know, I know. <laughs> right, and finally, a nice segue question on the transfers and captains. Content provider, because FPL Rockstar says he's feeling strangely content with his team locked for next week already. He asks, can it be like this every week, please? And he asks, you know, should we feel this way or should we be looking for something to do? I mean, I'd stick and not overcomplicate and hope your team provides a decent encore. Do you want more than 80 points plus? I mean, obviously you haven't all got that, but you know, in our position, if you're feeling content, then yeah, easy role retransfer. If you were in position to do Keynes to Harlan, do that. But otherwise, I think just stick with the plan, at least until game week two. As I said in preseason, after game week two, all bets are off. We start to begin to see what could be a good route to at least navigate the early weeks and take it from there. And probably the same for you, right, Nick? Yeah, it is the same for me. I'm in that same sort of frame of mind right now. There's there's not a whole series of changes that I, I need to make. Of course, you know, I would say that I'm in my position so I was lucky enough to do well. Just I think with FPL, you know, people do sometimes have a tendency to overmanage. You don't always need to, you know, if you're in a good position, then, then just stick with it if you're feeling content. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And that nicely and effortlessly, seamlessly moves on to transfers and captains. So, I mean, neither of us doing anything, are we, this week, Nick? And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're looking pretty set, apart from the Salah captain. I, mean, I guess you're just rolling. There's just nothing else really to say. Yeah, I am I'm planning on rolling. I kind of was thinking before game week one about Kulusevsky and moving him on. I'm not going to, obviously, based on what happened now. So, you know, that's looks like I'm going to be set for, for next week and, and see what happens. And yeah, decide on that captaincy decision whether it stays on Salah or if I end up just FOMOing into Haaland as the mm. captain. But the EO is going to be pretty pretty substantial there, I think. So it'd be interesting to see what you do. Although I'm sure there'll be loads of people who forget FPL exists who are going to keep the captaincy on Salah. So maybe the EO will mean that it becomes a bit more of a split pin one and it will be crawling in my skin for choosing Haaland over Salah. But we shall see. Same for me. No transfers for me, barring a random crock in the uh, in training this week. I rolled in the free transfer. Hopefully be able to do two free transfers, do something or other uh, when it comes to game week three, or maybe just one. Who knows? All 11 men are home for me this week as well, so hopefully another 80 is in the offing, but I suppose that's what you always say before you get 30 points, and the armband is squarely on Erling Haaland. Great. Well, I think that's your lot this week. Hopefully that was useful. Thanks, Nick, for coming on, uh, subbing in for Lucy. I believe we will be back again, not next week, but the week after that, game week three. Yep, scheduled in for game week three, so look forward to it. Yep, so uh, one, one game week down, one step closer to the edge. Um, we were who got the assist. You can find us on Twitter. Their main account's at WGTN School FPL that Tom manages. Lucy, you can find her at Lucy Hynett with two T's. 
and myself, if you want to follow me at WGTA underscore Nick. As we said at the start of the pod, there was a theme to this pod, um, as there normally is when, when I do make appearances, which is often why I end up talking a bit weirdly and, and trying to shoehorn random references in here and then. I use that as an excuse um, as to the way I speak. I spotted <laughs> the references. And um, if you liked listening to this, um, please like to um, subscribe to the podcast for the new listeners. Make sure to give us a five-star rating um, across stuff like iTunes and Spotify. So that really helps us with the algos to, to help get the pod out there. Yeah, yeah. We used to do themes for newer listeners back in the day when Nick was on the pod week in, week out, just to make it more fun for us. And yeah, it's always fun to do it when he's back. But yeah, thanks very much indeed. Do go ahead and do those things. We'll speak to you very, very soon. Lucy will be back next week to pick over the bones of game week two. Next Monday or next Tuesday will be released. It starts with one thing. I don't know why. It doesn't even matter how hard you try. Keep that in mind. Design this round to spend due time. Oh, I know. Time is a valuable thing. Watch the fly by as the pendulum swings. Watch the countdown to the end of the day. The clock ticks like the way. It's so unreal. Don't look out below. Watch time go right out the window. Try to hold on. Didn't even know. Wasted it all to watch you go. Kept everything inside. Didn't even know I tried. It all fell apart. While it meant to me, it would eventually be a memory of the time I tried so hard and got so far. But in the end... It doesn't even matter. Okay, bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.